0: Dear God, thank you so much for giving us, men and women, thank you for making us in your image, in your likeness, where from before creation, you got together with the other members of the Godhead, the three of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, let us make people in our image, and you made us men and women so that we would bring glory to you and be ready to receive and transmit and pass on the good news of Jesus. Show us all the ways in which you have ordained and called us to be a part of your plan as men and women in the church, in the home, and in society. We pray all this in your name and trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I wanna show you a scripture just to kinda kick things off right from the start, just to let you know, God really did know what he was doing when he made men and women he didn't make one of us and then make the other, us, uh, other of us as a contingency plan. He made both of us on purpose. And here's where that comes from. In Genesis chapter 1, 27, the Bible says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground and so we have adam and eve at the very beginning and even very little children down to age one two and three learn about the story of adam and eve and the creation event in the garden how god specifically had purposes for both of them and in some ways our culture and our society has taken a look at those roles in that creation story and said you know, maybe that's just a myth. You know, maybe men and women really don't have uh, specifically strategically created roles in society, in the church or in home. Maybe we should change them to fit our needs or our preferences. And so we see a society kind of working with roles and, uh, and changing them up in ways that, that perhaps are newer to our culture um, across generations. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in or what kind of church experience you've had or how your experiences has been or your experience has been dealing with gender roles in each of these venues. But what we're going to do this morning is take a quick look with the building blocks of society which start really at the home, don't they? Think about how society would be impacted if families completely fell apart. Now, families these days are under attack, aren't they? Families are struggling. Families have a hard time working through the difficulties of living this life. And on top of those struggles and those difficulties among them are challenges to the traditional roles that men and women have had in families over the generations. Now, it's not to say that those challenges are wrong. And we'll get into that here in a little bit more in a few minutes. But needless to say, families have a lot to deal with. Families have a lot on their plates these days. And I'm not just talking about scheduling and trying to keep up with kids' sports and school and work and home and those things. I'm talking about the pressure from the outside to either be a perfect family or struggle against the idea that we're not a perfect family. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you ever, have you ever felt that pressure before? We're not perfect as a family, and we need to be more perfect. I see a lot of heads shaking, and I would agree with that and say amen. What I want to do is share with you some scripture that comes before a scripture you might know about. You might not know about this particular scripture, so I want to share it with you. This is Ephesians chapter 15, and here's what the Bible says. It says, starting in verse 15, 515, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And then in chapter uh, 5, verse 19, the second half, it says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what I wanna show you is a curiosity because out of reverence for Christ, we're called to submit to one another. And this life of submitting to one another is tied how? To the flesh or to the spirit? When you saw in that reading, living life in the spirit and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the heart to God, you deal with the idea of living life by the spirit and not by how? By the flesh. Now, let me ask you a question. What makes you a male or female? You're flesh, right? But in your spirit, are you male or female? You're just a spirit, right? God calls us to live by the Spirit, and yet we are challenged by the physicality of maleness and femaleness in our culture, aren't we? So God wants to set the priorities from Jump Street, from the very ground up. He wants to say we are called to live by the Spirit, and so how we interact with each other is designed to come not from the flesh, but from the Spirit, And what I wanna show you is a curiosity in the scripture. If you look at that same scripture in your average Bible, you'll find a separation between that paragraph I just read you from Ephesians chapter five and that next line in that next section there starting in verse 21, it's in the NIV, it says instructions for Christian households. Now the Bible was split up into chapters and verses much, much later by a monk. It didn't originally come that way. And somehow down through the ages, this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ got pushed more into the next section. I'm going to read you a little bit of. Then it got associated with the section above it. Now, in a literary fashion, that might make some sense. But I would suggest is, as a culture, we've separated the idea out of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Bible goes on in, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, gives directions to wives about submitting to their husbands. And then you go on down to verse 25, and it gives instructions to husbands about loving, sacrificially loving their wives. Now look at the scripture on the screen, and if you're listening by podcast, we're looking at Ephesians chapter five verses 21 through the end of the the section there, which section deals more uh, heavily with which gender? Husbands get twice as much verbiage here as wives do, don't they? Now, the impact of the two sections is not lesser because there's less verbiage in it, but what I want you to see here is that God has specific purposes for roles in the family, and he addresses wives from this viewpoint of, you know, submitting to your, your husband, his leadership, as it were. But then equally, right below that, he comes back to husbands and says, love your wives in a self-sacrificial fashion. Now, why am I saying that? Because that's the way Jesus loves the church, in a self-sacrificing way. How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up for the church, Right. But what I want you to see here this morning is that this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ comes before that section. And it's also tied to the section in the original language. It's tied to the section about living life by the spirit, not by the flesh. So the case I'm trying to make with you this morning is the way we deal with our maleness and femaleness in the church ought to come from the spirit and not from the flesh. Let's take the the idea a little bit further. Just kind of set that whole verse 21 aside as sort of a pinnacle, sort of a connector between that section up above, verse 15. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The culture has taken this scripture and this foundation for the family and made it about superiority, The culture has taken the scripture and said, Wives, if you're married, you need to submit to your husband. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter how he treats you. And it's perverted the vision that God has had for maleness and femaleness. Because that is not at all how God has created the balance of genders to be in the home. He pairs up this idea of letting your husband lead With husband, you lead as Christ leads. And husband, if you're not leading as Christ leads in your home, then the balance of maleness and femaleness and the God-given, God-driven purposes for maleness and femaleness in the home are going to get distorted. You see how the balance is supposed to work? Husband, you lead your home as Jesus leads the church, self sacrificially. And in the same way, wives, let your husbands lead as such. It's, it's designed to be a balance, a working together. It's designed to be a mutuality. I want to go a little bit further, and I'm just going to push the envelope with you guys this morning because you're very patient, laid back, accepting people. I'm going to take full advantage of that <laughs> this morning, okay? I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about the physical relationship that happens in marriage or is designed to happen in marriage. And I want you to bear with me through this thought. Take a look at what the scripture says about mutuality. First Corinthians seven, starting in verse one. I love this version from the message. This is how Eugene Peterson puts the scripture. Now, getting down to the questions you asked Corinthians in your letter to me, St. Paul. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Raise your hand if you think it's a good thing to have sexual relations in marriage. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't. I'm joking. Mark says amen. All right. Paul says yes, certainly, but only within a certain context. Only within a certain context. He says it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Now watch this. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. And it, does our society contain them these days? Sexuality is everywhere. It's on the street. All around us. But the Bible says they, those urges and those needs and those, however you put them, they're designed to be contained. Certainly, Paul says, but only within a certain context. It's good for them to have each other. The drives are strong. Marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life. In a world of sexual disorder, which is describing our world to a T, isn't it? Look at what the Bible says. It says the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband satisfying to, uh, seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again, says Paul. And then he also says, Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes, Paul says, I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. And there's some truth to that, sure, right? But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of married life to others. Why am I talking to you about sex on Sunday morning? Because God made it just like he made you. Just like he made your femaleness and maleness. He made it, he designed it, he programmed it, and he put it into effect. And he wants you to know how the relationship in marriage is supposed to work. Now, the sex side of it is only one side, isn't it? There's communication, there's companionship, there's teamwork. God knows there's a lot of teamwork. That's why he made us the way we are, right? But I want you to see this from the idea, from the standpoint of why gender roles exist. They don't exist to be in a combatant form against each other. They exist for mutuality, for teamwork, for combined effort and combined living. You see how God has created this structure for maleness and femaleness? Let's take a look at the church. Now, this is a great one. I love this conversation. What about men and women serving in the church? Where do men and women serve in the church? There is a lot of anxiety about this in our culture, in our global church body. There's a lot of questioning about this. Where can men serve and where can women serve? I want to draw your attention to 1 Timothy 3. If you've got your Bible open or your iPad or your phone uh, accessible to you, version. I want to share with you, and I didn't want to put this on the screen because it's long. I want to share with you what God's job description is for an overseer. This is an elder. Uh, some would call it pastor, but I think the job is bigger than that. Uh, according to what the scripture says. Of uh, 1 Timothy 3, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, What was the devil's judgment? Trying to usurp the place of God. Do you see the warning that's being given to someone who desires to be an overseer? If you want to be in the place of an elder, pastor, church leader, something of that effect, you're going to be tempted to try to usurp God's place. Be warned. And here's how that plays out across your life. Don't let drunkenness get in. Don't get let abuse get in amongst your family members, et cetera and so forth. He must be worthy of full respect. He must not be a recent convert or may have become conceited, fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Just saying the same thing again, isn't it? Now, that role in particular is for an elder or an overseer. And the word that's associated with that role, overseer, is a kind of um, a role that traditionally has been relegated to pastors. It includes pastors, but it also includes elders and those who oversee the teaching, the theology, and the rendering of how the Bible comes into our lives into the church. Does that make sense? So it is a, an office-type job. It's a role where people are called into a particular office to oversee the dissemination of God's Word, to make sure it doesn't get watered down or changed, uh, to make things convenient for society. It's an office. How many genders are represented in that job description? Just the one by inference because it deals with you know, uh, an overseer having a wife. So it's basically saying, you know, men are traditionally relegated to this role of overseer. Now, how do we do it at Trinity? At Trinity, we have men and women serving in the highest levels of governance. On our governing board, we have men and women. On our leadership team, we have a bunch of site pastors, including me, and we also have some women our business manager, and our head of family and children's ministry are part of that team as well. So we have women at the highest levels of governance in our church body. But you'll notice that women traditionally don't uh, lead from a pastoral role, right? So what I want to show you this morning is a role that comes right after the role that's shared here in 1st Timothy 3, the first section, I want to draw your attention to the next section of scripture and see what you find in there with me. 1st Timothy 3.8, in the same way, deacons are worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. That word deacon means servant. It could also mean one who leads and serves, servant leader. In the same way, in verse 11, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, some theologians surmise that this is talking about the wives of deacons. But most of us believe that this is deacons who are women, Women who can occupy leadership roles all the way to the top with the exception of one role. And what is that? Overseer, right? Now, again, at Trinity, we have women serving in the highest levels of governance, right? When it comes to protecting, overseeing the word of God and its being shared with the congregation we typically set that role apart for pastors at Trinity. Pastors are the ones who preach and teach, right? At the same time, we recognize that women are created with leadership skills and abilities just like men are, and that God has ordained them and set them aside just like he has men to be able to lead and guide and even teach in the church as they are so gifted. And what you will find at Trinity is that you've got a mixed mash of males and females in all these different roles, and you've got the pastoral role, right? But what you see in Scripture is what we believe happens at Trinity when we have women serving in all manner of roles, from the front to the communion table to Kid Street to... Uh, first impressions, to governance, and to leadership team level. We believe that we've got a biblical balance to leadership in our congregation when it comes to women serving in all different levels. Now, that space, that place there of overseers, we keep that set aside because of the amount of judgment, the amount of accountability that comes with the pastoral role, making sure that the word of God is disseminated at Trinity in a fully biblically balanced way, where the whole counsel of Scripture is given to the whole congregation. So what I want you to see in the Scripture this morning is that from the very beginning of the Christian church, women have been in the highest levels of leadership. There's one role that's set aside in the scripture. Women have been in the highest levels of governance and leadership in the church by design. And they should be. Women are gifted as are men. And that giftedness goes from all manner of beginning in leadership to advanced leadership. And the Bible makes a pretty resounding case for that truth, wouldn't you say? Okay. Different churches handle this matter in different ways. You're going to see that in our culture. You're going to see different churches handle the place of women differently. There are some congregations that will not allow women anywhere near leadership in the worship service. I praise God we're not one of them. I'm thankful that we recognize the giftedness of women and support, and raise them up in leadership through the worship service and in other places. Personally, I'm grateful to God for that. It gives us twice as many gifted people, and if not more than that, to raise up by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead a generation that is lost from Jesus Christ, doesn't it? So let's take a look at society and the society we live in. This is a, an example of, um, of Phoebe, a deacon in the first Century Church. This is what Paul writes in Romans about her. He says, I commend to your you sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul supported Phoebe's leadership and raised her up and uh, gave her, through his influence, support. And she went on to lead many people in the faith. Following her example, today's Christian church should do the same thing. Identify Phoebes and through the power of the Spirit, raise them up. There is that one role of overseer that is set aside to oversee and protect the dissemination of the word. And at the same time, we recognize that God has made men and women to serve in the power of the Spirit in the church through all levels, all the way up through governance. So we pray for our leaders. We find out who they are. We look at who our governing board members are. And a couple of people just got elected, right? (laughs) We look at who our leadership team is. If you need to know who those people are, jump on the website. Everybody's listed there. Find them. See all the men and women who are there. Pray for all of them in the ways that God has called them and let God continue to lift them up and empower them and hear your prayers about that. Now, what about society? Society says this. You can look back to the 1950s society, take your oppressive gender roles and come and pick them up. Why do we say that? Because these days, men and women are working just as hard as each other in different industries and in different ways, all through society, and they're teaming up and working together mutually, perhaps more than they have in many generations. In fact, I can tell you, in the last year, Heather and I have taken on many new roles in our family that absolutely reflect this truth. The idea is this. She works full-time, I work full-time, we have kids full-time, we have careers, and we have a home full-time, and it takes the two of us working together mutually through all aspects of our marriage to be able to have a balanced life in the Lord. I believe, based on the counsel of Scripture, that this is the way marriage is supposed to be, and it's the way it's supposed to be taught in our culture. Marriage is supposed to be equal. Gender roles at the home take their place in marriage, don't they? Because if you're single, your gender role at home is really um, up to you. You do both things at home. You take care of both sides of your home if you're single, right? But if you're in a marriage relationship, you work together mutually in the spirit. And let your maleness and femaleness come from an attitude of serving each other in the Spirit. This creates a church that's balanced and biblical. A church that is speaking to families in the way they need to be spoken to and led. In a way that says God has created you for a purpose and a reason. The way you are. But don't forget who you are. You are Spirit your maleness and your femaleness at home, in the church, and in society, they are God's gifts to you for the opportunity of mutuality, mutually joining with other people so that the gift of God through Jesus can shine through. Is this a fair proposition this morning? Have you heard anything heretical this morning that makes you want to Start tearing the place apart. That's wrong. Have you seen biblical evidence for the way God creates maleness and femaleness? Good. I hope so. And I hope to you and whoever's listening that this is an encouragement. God knows what he's doing in you and through you. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being in charge. The Bible says that you were the one who actually did the creating. You were the one who made us. Male and female, and yet we are spirit. We are the ones who serve at your command and at your calling. God, in our home and in our church and in the society we know right here in Naperville, we ask that you would take our maleness and our femaleness and use it for your purposes and for your glory. Help us to understand and to realize and to know that you've always intended mutuality, working together, serving each other, and that that comes from a life of living in the Spirit. So God, let us be encouraged in you this morning for who you've made us to be, your children, male and female. And let us live according to your purpose by the grace you've given us in Jesus. For that's why we were made. We pray this in your name, and together we say, amen and amen.